Hello, you beautiful interweb people. Welcome back to another episode of The Imposter. That's right, the podcast series aimed at making science more fun and engaging for you, the general public. That's my NPR voice. Anyway, so um, we got some great feedback and great comments from people for the first episode, so thank you very much for those of you that uh, sent me your feedback. Um, for those of you that haven't, you've made me feel like Drew Barrymore in that film where she gets stood up on prom. Um, it's a pretty terrible feeling, so I hope you can live with yourself. Anyway, so this podcast episode is going to be structured a bit differently. It's going to be an informal conversation with a marine scientist friend of mine, and we're going to be talking about marine pollution and kind of specifically plastics in the ocean. Um, but before we get that, we have a special surprise for you. The one and only Duncan Morton, the author of the blog thoughtyououghtterno.blogspot.co.uk, which is a great blog, by the way, so check it out if you haven't, um, has recorded for us a tiny little tidbit. Duncan is a good friend of mine, he is a fellow marine scientist, and he's a grumpy old man in a young man's body. Uh, so, without further ado, let's figure out what's troubling poor Duncan this week. Hey everybody, this is Duncan. I want to apologize if I sound a bit rough, I've been kind of stuffed up this week. So anyway, today I want to talk about something that's been pissing me off recently, and that is climate change. Now, the issue I have with climate change is the constant denial of its existence by certain politicians in the United States, namely most of those running for president as Republicans. I also take issue with the portrayal of climate change and global warming by the media in the U.S. Now, firstly, the bullshit that is coming from certain notable politicians in the U.S. regarding climate change and global warming. So around and immediately following the COP21 summit in Paris, many Republican presidential candidates rushed to express their disdain for President Obama for even bothering to spend time on something as inconsequential as climate change. The idea that these people are putting out there is the same old tired bullshit about how global warming is a hoax created by climate scientists in an attempt to scare the public. Which is ridiculous. One of the most irritating groups of supporters for this idea are those people who confuse climate with weather and claim that global warming can't be real because it was cold today. Global warming means that on average global temperatures are increasing from year to year. It does not mean that every single day will be 80 degrees or 27 degrees to you non-Americans. If you can't understand the issue at the this basic of a level, read a book, get on the internet, educate yourself, and until then, shut the hell up. Now the slightly smarter people supporting the idea of the climate change hoax are those trying to manipulate the data to support the conclusions they've already arrived at, and then ironically accusing climate scientists of doing the exact same thing. Something I had heard recently from Ted Cruz was that there has been no significant increase in t global temperature in the last 18 years. Now this is especially annoying because it is technically correct, but also a massive, massive misrepresentation of the data. Now scientists don't generally look at time series in periods of 18 years, and the only reason that climate deniers are doing that is because it is the only way to make the data support their argument. And this is because 1998 was an absurdly warm year. According to temperature data collected by NASA, 
nine of the ten warmest years on record have occurred since 2000. The lone exception to this is 1998. And so if you start your data set with that year, it skews it so that there appears to be no significant increase in temperature in the same way that an iceberg may not look that impressive because you can't see everything that's under the water. Now, the reason that climate denial is so prevalent in the U.S., I believe, is because there's this culture and idea that everyone's opinion is valid and that both sides of an argument are of equal worth. Now, when both sides of an argument are based on opinions, then that may be true. However, when one side is based on opinion and the other side is based upon heaps and heaps and years and decades of independent, scientifically collected temperature data from multiple sources, then those arguments are not equal and should not be treated as such. So when the media represents climate change and climate denier positions as equal but opposite options, they are creating a false narrative which hurts the efforts to combat climate change because people are led to believe that it is simply a matter of opinion rather than a scientific reality. Claiming that climate change and global warming are not happening is a waste of time and worse, a detriment to efforts to reduce human impacts on climate change, especially when this bull is spouted by elected officials. Now, we cannot afford to not take climate change seriously or to ignore it, and so these efforts by politicians and the media to minimize the impact of climate change or to dismiss it entirely really just pisses me off. All right, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you want to find out about more, want to find out more about the things that piss me off or that I find interesting, check out my blog, Thought You Ought to Know, on Blogspot.com. And uh, see you. Wow, what a very insightful and profane little tidbit. Thank you for that, uh, Duncan. That was actually that was really great. For those of you that haven't checked out his blog yet, um, I will post a link to it in this week's post. I strongly urge you to do it because it's a great site. He's a great guy. And, um, you know, you just might learn something. I know. It's dangerous. Anyway, uh, as I said, this week we're going to be talking about plastics in the ocean, marine pollution. That's right. And just to say before we start, there's a lot of great organizations that do fantastic work educating and um, being activists and trying to reduce and minimize the marine pollution um, and plastics specifically. One of those really great organizations is the Plastic Soup Foundation, and you can check them out at www.plasticsoupfoundation.org, and I highly urge you do. I'll post a link to their site on the supplementary information that can be found on the WordPress blog, so check the Facebook, y'all. All right, you young pups, no more teasing. Let's get on with the nitty-gritty. Let's get this show on the road. We live in an age based on science and technology with formidable technological powers. And if we don't understand it, by we I mean the general public, if it's something that, oh, I'm not good at that, I don't know anything about it, then who is making all the decisions about science and technology that uh, are going to determine what kind of future our children live in? We've really got to start at the earliest levels with having a broader view of what education really can and should be. Because I find that with the young people we have, 
we are able to motivate them. Science is all around us. It's in us. Knowledge of science is power. It gives you an understanding of the forces of nature. It's not even about how much science you know. It's about how science literature Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Imposter. I'm your host Amir Fogel and today we're joined with a good friend of mine and also another scientist, the one and only Mr. Ro Allen. Good afternoon. This this is Ro Allen. It is. Uh, it is I. <laughs> it is I, Rohan. We're actually going to just kind of take an informal conversation about uh, Marini stuff because that is both of our backgrounds. <laughs> to, to say in a very precise and scientific way. Um, if you don't know, my, my background has kind of been in marine predators. Um, Ro, uh, what would you say your background's in? Um, I guess broadly on anthropogenic impacts on the ocean, so just how uh, we as humans are affecting marine environments. Um, and my primary research is all about climate change at the moment, but I've looked at other things too. Yeah, he's looked at my face. That's why he can't talk that much anymore. Speechless. Speechless. Um, but yes, Rose also being a bit modest, he's about to embark on the journey that is the PhD and um, looking at, would you say, ocean acidification a byproduct of climate change? Uh, ocean acidification a byproduct of carbon dioxide emissions, um, but also warming and how those two factors are interacting with each other. So yeah, essentially climate change ipso facto ipso facto ipso facto um now whether or not it's anthropogenic uh or to i guess layman's terms human induced um climate change or not there are other um shall we say additives to the natural world that we humans kind of have have added had have put our spin on, so to speak. I mean, yes, I'd say I'd say there are. So uh, one of those is what we're going to be just kind of casually talking about, uh, which happens to be the wonderful world of plastics. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah. So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, ocean plastic pollution, which has become quite a hot topic in the media recently. So I'm sure most of you listening will have heard various snippets about. Um, how we're polluting our oceans quite severely with marine plastic. But there's also, um, as I'm sure Amir will agree, quite a few misconceptions about uh, A, the technologies that we might be able to use to clean them up, and B, what what um, marine plastics actually are and how they're affecting marine life. So we're going to try and cover a bit of that. Mm, don't you ever put words in my mouth. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm telling you, boy. <laughs> I do agree, though. I do 100% agree. Um, yes, and... We'll also just do, well, we'll start right now. We'll just do a quick rundown for those of you that aren't familiar of what generally the problem is. Um, I suppose that's also a source of, not contention, but people can point to different things as what the actual problem is. Where what's gotten the most media attention is things like the Pacific Garbage Patch. Um, yeah. Well, should we start early well, and talk about um, just the fact that we're accumulating plastic in the ocean? All right, all right. So, so like, yeah. Go, go for it, go for it, right, yeah. Sorry to go. Um, 
Um, but it's <laughs> rude. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, uh, land-based pollution or land-based plastic production is ending up in the sea. Um, and that's through lots and lots of different mechanisms, um, from rubbish literally blowing off landfill into the sea, from people littering directly into the ocean. Um, and another huge one which people often don't think about is um, is shipping accidents, where plastics that are being shipped from place to place um, come off boats and end up in the sea. Um, and again, that's not to mention uh, littering from vessels themselves. Yeah, no, I... I... Agree. I was just going to say, to take a step back, if you want to look from a historical context, it's quite recent. The um, kind of use, wide, widespread use of plastics, um, the so-called Dixie Cup generation, which got its name because, I don't know, is Dixie Cups a brand in the UK? It's, uh, it's, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, so essentially, <laughs> in the States, Dixie Cups are like, like one-time use, either paper with a wax coating, uh, plastic cups that you get next to the water cooler when you go to your work and you discuss sure. the TV program from the night before. Yeah. Anyway, so they got labeled the Dixie Cup generation um, when they first came out, however many decades ago. <laughs> <laughs> An <laughs> to be exact. <laughs> yeah. So we're essentially what the the disposable plastics generation. Yes. So it's just kind of like snowballed to the to the point where it's like. When you go to the grocery store now, whether it's in the States or it's over here in the UK, by the way, in case you didn't know, we're broadcasting live from Oxford, London? Are that's, we in London? That's a criminal mistake. <laughs> we're, we are in Oxford, in Oxfordshire, not in London. Um, and uh, yes. we'll, just, we'll just pretend you never said that. We'll pretend I didn't say that, but ready for this? Sorry, side note. David Cameron is the MP... For half of Oxford? No, incorrect. Um, David Cameron's the MP for Whitney, which is just outside Oxford. I heard correct, so I'm going to go with that. Okay, sure. <laughs> absolutely. You heard it here first, folks. But anyway, but can we just state we're not Cameron's? Cameron's not. We're not. A, I don't like Cameron. No, anyway. me, me neither. Moving on. Tangent, Moving on. Um, tangent alert. <laughs> All right, no, back back on that. Back, back, okay, so yeah, so back to the plastic. So. As I was saying, you go to the grocery store, whether it's over here in the UK or in the United States, um, and let's say you get um, avocados. That avocado is going to be put in, whether it's a pack of two or four, plastic plastic kind of um, casing, and then wrapped again. So that's already two bits of plastic that goes into one product. That's, you know, minimal almost. I mean, even it, you, you can't escape it, essentially. You go to the grocery store, even things that look like they're just made of paper have plastic coating on the inside, cartons of milk, cartons of orange juice. It doesn't matter. Like, the plastic industry is pretty much everywhere at this point. It's mass-produced. Yeah. You know, you, you, even, even if you want to make a conscious effort to avoid your plastic consumption, not impossible, but definitely difficult. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've created a society in the last century that's heavily dependent on plastic and as a result of that uh, we're ending up with a hell of a lot of it in the ocean. Yeah, that's actually a far more concise <laughs> and better way to put it. I suppose the point of me making the, the grocery store comparison is just for you listeners at home, it's just something to think about. I'm not trying to preach but just saying like next time you're there, just just keep that in mind. Look, you, you know, I, I didn't notice it until someone pointed it out to me. Like how how much plastic 
is kind of everywhere. I mean, really, really, you don't notice it until it's kind of unveiled to you. But once the veil's gone, you kind of like are in shock for a bit. But anyway, so, you know, you have, you have these bits of plastic that are either recycled, though even with recycling, if, if you take the time to recycle, even that doesn't fully, you can't recycle 100% as far as I understand. Is that, would you say that's correct? As far as your knowledge base is? My, uh, my knowledge base is limited. but I, I think I, it's like 40%. Yeah, it might I, be an I, arbitrary number. But. I'm, I'm almost certain that logically you can't get 100% yeah. recycle on plastic. Yeah, well, well I'll, pu I'll put some links up to recycling um, on the blog just, just to fact check myself and also for anyone that's interested, you can check it out as well. Um, but yeah, so, you know, if you do take the time to recycle, keep doing it if you are. Just saying. It's not, it's not a worthless thing. Um, it's definitely better than the alternative. If you litter your trash will just be strewn apart, like, yeah, anywhere. And when it rains, it pours, and some fraction of your rubbish or your trash will get washed into the sea. Yeah. Is that, is that a simplified version, would you say, of how we get marine debris? It, yes, but fine. Man-made marine debris. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we, yeah. <laughs> You're looking at me like I'm crazy, which is true. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, all right. So we've uh, so we've established that we're generation dependent on plastic, and we put a lot of it into the marine environment. Yeah. So now keep us on track. Yeah. So in the marine environment, um, these plastics accumulate in areas in the sea. For example. Uh, the North Pacific garbage patch, which is so famous in the media. But these things are essentially caused by um, large ocean currents, which are called um, gyres, or it's various pronunciations. Gyres. Gyres. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, essentially these currents um, are cyclic and basically just lead to lead to plastic accumulating in, in particular areas, one of which is, is, is the Pacific garbage patch. Um, just as a side note, the Pacific Garbage Patch, the Pacific Gyre, is not the only one. As you can imagine, there's one for every kind of major ocean. So there is an Atlantic Gyre. There are five, I believe. Five yeah. major ones. Yeah. Um, so even though the Pacific one gets most of the attention, just so you're aware, it's not the only one out there. Um, sorry, yeah. not to interrupt. No, no, no that's, uh, you know, that's all I was saying. So... Um, so we've got this huge problem. Um, we've got plastic accumulating in particular areas of the sea, but then we've also got plastic distributed massively throughout the sea, particularly in coastal regions. And um, and uh, a lot of recent scientific literature has shown that that plastic is accumulating in marine animals, and that's you know that's having a really detrimental effect on the environment. And more recently, they've found that that's um, going to start affecting human diet so we're already seeing plastics accumulating in fish um that are on our plates so um yeah i mean there was a study that examined fish that was on sale for human consumption for plastics and they and they you know plastic was prevalent in the flesh of these fish so this is no longer an issue um of aesthetics or are uh, we probably shouldn't put plastic in the sea it's a case of putting plastic in the sea is directly affecting us now in in a very negative way and it's something that we need to address immediately so the situation we've we've gotten to now is where um we've got some entrepreneurs and we've got some think tanks and various people who are trying to put together marine technologies that can help us um start removing plastic from the sea 
You know, it's interesting as well because you'd get the most accumulation the higher up on the food chain you go. The higher up, if you listen to the first podcast on predators, I shouldn't say food chain, food web. Um, but, the, you know, these the top predators will probably accumulate more uh, plastic because they're eating up, you know, the trophic levels. Yeah. So they're, they're eating kind of like the fish that eat the smaller fish, they eat the smaller fish, they eat the smaller fish. Um, yeah. it's, the same, it's the same concept, if you think about it, as, as tuna. Tuna is one of the top predators. Um, and if, if you were at all kind of aware of the mercury content that came out, you know, I think it was in the 90s, that tuna had very high um, counts of mercury because it slowly built up in their system from kind of the bottom of uh, this food web all the way to the top. Yeah. I think it's interesting because though people are aware, everyone still eats tuna. I mean, you go to, you know, chain Subway, like all these chain restaurants, regular restaurants, everybody still has tuna. They stock it, even though, you know, some species may be critically endangered um, or, sure. you know, whatever their status is. Um, so I, I would be curious to know if people take this plastic consumption more seriously than they did the, the mercury that... Um, is also life-threatening. You know, it's also linked yeah. to a lot of kind of adverse effects and long-term effects and whatnot. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how how the public responds to these issues. Um, to go uh, back to to um, talking about accumulating various things. Yes, yes. Sorry, um, go on. It's probably worth explaining the process. So the way uh, the way that I'd explain it is is it's a process that we call bioaccumulation, um, because we like to chuck in prefixes to some <laughs> words um, so the way to think about it uh we use mercury as the example but mercury can be swapped for plastic in the, in this case um, it's not possible for marine organisms to break down mercury very fast or to get rid of mercury so as mercury gets absorbed into um say like a small zooplankton um, that mercury will remain in the system of that animal for their entire life. So, so zooplankton, sorry, zooplankton could be like a small larval stage of a fish that might grow bigger, but the fact that it's at a certain size and free-floating kind of... Sure, or, yeah. I mean, there's or jellyfish. There's, or, there's many organisms yeah. that are zooplankton for their whole life, um, and just think, yeah, yeah. think of them as like small crustaceans, so like almost like a tiny, tiny crab. Krill. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So these these organisms accumulate mercury and they can't get rid of it. So when a small fish that eats these zooplankton starts eating them, that fish in its lifetime might eat a thousand individual zooplankton organisms. So all of the mercury that's saved in these tiny organisms is going to end up in that fish. And because that fish can't break it down, now inside that fish is a thousand times more mercury than was in each individual piece of zooplankton and then that fish gets eaten by a bigger fish but the bigger fish eats a hundred of the smaller fish so now there's a hundred times more of the mercury in that bigger fish so as Amir was saying as you go up each level on um uh on, well as we'd say as you go up each trophic level but you can imagine it as each rung on the on the inverted commas food chain the amount of um uh, the amount of mercury accumulated in that animal it increases exponentially. So when it comes to large predators like, for example, a tuna, there's just an unbelievable amount of mercury concentrated into these animals, which can, you know, that that can kill the animal in the first place, mm. um, but also affect humans if if it reaches us. Who, I mean, we're essentially the very top of yeah. of uh, the apex of yes, yeah, we're essentially the apex predators. So we're going to start consuming mercury. Or plastics as well, because these lower organisms are um, not capable of breaking them down. Yeah, and you know what? It is frightening, but 
another thing just as well is that even even just the production of plastics you know they don't they don't break down like a regular kind of organic material would um, plastic breakdown is just literally you you might have like a plastic milk carton and over time um, if it's just flying around the ocean it just kind of it, it doesn't completely disappear it just breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces but the plastic is still around it's just in smaller pieces and so it becomes these microplastics and those are on such a fine scale that you can look at water and it might look clean and clear you know the ideal the ideal kind of aesthetic uh, turquoise green and then if you scoop it up with a fine mesh net you'll see you know hundreds of thousands of tiny plastic particles um, just kind of free floating around in there, um, so that's that's a major issue that I think Ro and I probably agree that is something that is not only not as kind of addressed as the larger, um, more kind of physically conspicuous yes um, kind of phys uh, plastic pollution, but also it's it's a hell of a lot harder to address that problem because you have microplastics and you have microorganisms. So to separate the two when you're trying to, you know, get, get when, you're separate, when you're trying to separate the two that uh, basically inhabit the same space is, you know, it, I don't think it's impossible, but it's, it's definitely a very, very difficult task. And so therein, I think, lies the problem that some of these kind of new ideas kind of start to tackle and some some of them address it and some of them don't i'd say yeah yeah i mean uh, a huge proportion of plastic pollution in the ocean is what we'd refer to as microplastics and that does create an issue whereby technologies for plastic removal that are based around filtering um or size-based filtering mm. uh are not likely to be effective for removing microplastics because they're going to have a massive detrimental effect on um, marine microorganisms and marine microorganisms are arguably the most important marine organisms of, of, of all because they underpin everything else well again if you listen to the first podcast episode about predators and if you haven't i urge you to uh, go to the soundcloud or the the, the uh, blog site and check it out um, but this goes back to the debate between top-down and bottom-up uh, kind of control. And in this case, um, we might say that the scale might be tilted more towards the bottom-up. Um, yeah. I think with the, uh, not to, to go on too much of a tangent, but the the top-down versus bottom-up control arguments are, are, are very interesting. And, and in reality, I think, um, you know, we we know pretty well that both the mechanics of bottom-up control and the mechanics of top-down control work simultaneously to, to mm -hmm. create a kind of dynamic equilibrium in these ecosystems. Um, but I guess the uh, the fundamental point is if you pull out the bottom rung, nothing else can survive at all. Whereas if, if you um, pull out a rung further up, it's going to have ecological repercussions but it doesn't necessarily mean that literally everything yeah, it might change die. the structure of the ecosystem doesn't mean the ecosystem will die completely exactly it is it is a fair point again i don't think it I, I think it's a sliding scale as well i think both of them like you just said are are in kind of they play similar roles simultaneously 
uh, but I think it depends on the ecosystem and the environment itself. Yeah. Um, but anyway, definitely. Um, so getting back to it, there are there are the big plastics that you have kind of floating around, and that's what you know most people know about. Uh, that's what's made famous the kind of Pacific Garbage Patch. But then you also have these microplastics, which are either the larger pieces of plastic that have just broken down, or you have microbeads, which is another form of microplastics that you know have been in products in the states. We've just banned them, but um, which is a huge victory. But you know they're in anything from face wash to toothpaste to you know shampoo. I mean, surprisingly, in a lot of products, microbeads, um, and they're basically tiny, tiny plastic beads that you know you don't think about because they're in these products like toothpaste that just kind of help exfoliate or face wash that help exfoliate your skin, and um, you wash them down the drain and that's that. You never see them again. But yeah. you know you have like Roe explained, you have these fish that might eat. The zooplankton that's consumed a microbead, or so on and so forth. So, these are the problems that that currently we face as an international, global human community. There are some innovators and entrepreneurs that have tried to address not only the plastic problem but other kind of marine and/or freshwater pollution. Um, the the one that I think has grabbed. A lot of headlines for the last few years has been um, one. What 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 is the young chap's name again? Uh, Boyan Slat, I believe. Slat, who yeah. is a Dutch entrepreneur, uh, made famous because at the age of seventeen, I believe, um, he devised a plan that has since gone undergone some revising. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But it's a free-floating uh, autonomous. No, take take it away. Uh, take it away, Rob. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to misspeak. So um, yeah, I mean, so so on a top level, essentially, um, this young entrepreneur had an idea of creating a floating array um, of beams, which could be deployed to the uh, Pacific Garbage Patch or any garbage patch. Um, that would drive water towards the center of the beam where plastic could accumulate um, and then could ultimately be removed from the sea. So it would be, um, it would, the idea was to create a massive piece of technology that could be used to passively remove um, plastics from the ocean. Now, um, it was a great idea. And however, his idea came under a lot of criticism just because there were some practicalities of it that rendered it unfeasible. Mm. However, from the attention generated from um, his TED talk in particular, and just the fact that it was an exciting new idea meant that the project was funded and it was allowed to develop. And now it's um, it's at a stage where it's something called, it's referred to now as the ocean cleanup. Um, and it's a company which, uh, yeah, which has taken his his concept to a to a new level, and now they've got this idea of having a fixed barrier in the sea, um, which through the same principles drives plastic to accumulate against this barrier um, for its ultimate removal from the ocean. Yes, um, and you can look it up if you're interested about what it looks like and or the actual. Uh, theories behind the technology at www.theoceancleanup.com. Um, as Rose said, it did it did undergo some scrutiny, 
One, though, this they, they do acknowledge uh, this particular bit of scrutiny that it doesn't address microplastics. Um, they, they mainly are addressing the larger, um, more physically uh, taking up space plastics. <laughs> that was an awful way to phrase it. <laughs> I apologize. Bigger pieces of plastic. That why are you so articulate? <laughs> so it's not that articulate. <laughs> Too smart. Anyway, um, so yes, that said, it's not necessarily a counter argument, but one kind of rebuttal is that taking out the larger bits still does some good because you're still, I mean, people argue that it's a lost cause because you're not addressing the microplastics, which, you know, are in the thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions. 5.25 trillion pieces, according to a 2014 study. But anyway, maybe there on. you have it. There <laughs> you have it. Rohan Allen, everyone. <laughs> Whiz kid. Um, but yes, so however five point whatever trillion you just said, um, compared to these larger ones, but it still takes away these larger plastics that will eventually break down and add to that many trillion. So it is, it is not necessarily a lost cause, but it's definitely not addressing the entire bit of the problem. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think, um, as Amir said, I think this technology is actually really beneficial, and it's a really positive thing that we should all act to get behind wherever wherever possible. But you know, for the microplastic situation specifically, um, there is a limitation, and so it's like we've we've created a technology that can tackle half the problem. Now, tackling half the problem is really important because we can start making steps to deal with that first half of the problem. Yeah. But what is important to remember is that we haven't solved the ocean plastic crisis with this um and that's and that's actually one of the one of the things that environmentalists and marine biologists in particular really kicked off about um in the beginning when yep. <laughs> when this uh when this ocean array thing came out was that people kind of praised it and hailed it as this you know golden or silver bullet rather mm. that was gonna that, solution that was, for everything yeah that was gonna solve the ocean plastic crisis which meant that lifestyle changes and reductions of plastic pollution were no longer necessary and it was a problem that could be neatly packed away into a little box and forgotten about um so that's the danger of these technological innovations is with the lack of understanding it can seem like it's a kind of dust your hands off job done see you later when in reality we're nowhere near that point at all. However, we are taking the first step. I think, actually, what you said, I'd like to amend a little bit. I think that this isn't addressing half the problem. This is addressing a third of the problem. I think another third is the microplastics, and the final third is education and prevention. And that, that means that we need to you know, start making less products that have kind of useless packaging, you know, um, double wrapped, you know, for food products, whatever it is. Um, but really start reducing the plastic we have um, and maybe investing in better technology if it's um, for, you know, preserving food or whatever. Maybe there are other ways to do it. But also I think that... <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd bring in the, uh, the three R's here reduce recycle stop it and reuse you sir are a genius <laughs> if i was gonna appoint anybody 
to be leader of the free world, it would be you. Well, everything would be recycled. <laughs> uh, uh, obviously, that's not my idea. That's like no, that's, that's a saying. That's just yeah. That's yeah. Yeah, but it, but there is definitely truth to it. I mean, and education is key. You know, it's a small thing, but you have straws that are in you know everything just as a given. You know, you put a straw in a drink when you give it to someone. What people don't know is where that straw goes. What happens to that straw if it's not properly disposed of? And even if it is properly disposed of in a landfill, that doesn't necessarily guarantee it's not going to end up in the ocean somehow. And so educating them about where it goes. So you show the video of the sea turtles that have, you know, the straw lodged up its nose because it ate it and it got lodged in its nasal tract. And, you know, the guy has pliers and he's pulling it out of the nostril and the turtle's crying and bleeding or what we assume would be, not, maybe not crying, that's, that's definitely anthropomorphizing, <laughs> but can, can, a, can a sea turtle cry? I think, actually, that... Um, Saltwater tears? No, I, genu I genuinely think, and I might be wrong, actually, so that you, that, um, I genuinely think that turtles are constantly crying because that is one of their ways of expelling salt from their system. That's fantastic. And so I think, let me look it up quickly, I think turtles never stop crying. That's either the most emo thing I've ever heard or the coolest thing well, I've ever if heard. if any emo kids need a new spirit animal, they can, <laughs> they can pick the turtle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then there's another video of a turtle with a plastic fork lodged up its nose. I mean, really, like, that's, that's probably the product of a drink at a bar and, you know, a disposable fork from a picnic that you went to and threw away the fork and you, or, you know, you got street food and threw away the fork and thought nothing of it. So it's just, it's just about being mindful and educating yourself and educating others. And this is, this is also something that I think is important because as I've mentioned twice now, I try not to be preachy. I know it probably comes across that I am at times, um, but it is important that, you know, the approach you take when you educate people, if you're going to try and be an environmentalist or you're going to try and teach people about something, it doesn't necessarily need to be about environmentalism. I guess this is my own personal experience in life. But if you preach to someone, you know, you might be really passionate and you might have great points. But if you take that wrong approach and you shove it down someone's throat or you make it seem like you know everything and, you know, um, they know nothing or it... it might make them go to the opposite corner. You might drive them away. And so taking the right approach in how you educate people is also just as important. It needs to be well thought out, and you need to make sure that you're doing it in a way that people respond to positively. And I think that's definitely something that is not even thought about in the majority of times when people are in advocacy groups, conservation groups. I mean, to me, I, I've witnessed this when it comes to conservation groups and the fishing industry. You know, there's just no, and this is kind of a tangent, but, you know, there's, there's no thought to the approach for the most part in my experience. But mm. did you find out about sea turtles? Do they cry constantly? Uh, yeah, they do cry constantly to get rid of excess salt. That's that's pretty damn cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. New little fun fact for you kids at home. Fun fact, yeah, that one's for free. <laughs> that one is for free. Um, so, yes, there's also, we'll briefly talk and then wrap it up, I think. Um, but yeah, yeah, fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the floating garbage can. Wait, can can we talk about one more thing about the um, boyan? Yeah, boyan slab. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah. So um, so with this plastic array, uh, it's going to be potentially quite useful for accumulating um, larger pieces of plastic. But um, 
we don't know, well, there's limited information about what environmental effects it's going to have. So by having a barrier floating in the surface ocean that's accumulating anything, um, that is potentially going to have an effect on the marine environment. Now, um, on their website, it says that they've tested whether it's going to cause the accumulation of planktonic organisms, which are organisms that aren't strong enough to swim against the current. So um, in most contexts, that's that's the kind of very small stuff, so microorganisms. Um, and they say on their website that they've found uh, that microorganisms don't accumulate or planktonic organisms don't accumulate around this barrier. So um, that would insinuate that it's not going to have much of an environmental effect. But I would hasten to add that that's not in the in peer-reviewed scientific literature that's just in um essentially marketing communications from their company so i think that's something that totally really, not biased yeah exactly i mean that that's something that really needs to be addressed is um although this might be a potential good way of, of collecting bigger pieces of plastic how is it going to affect the marine environment um and really you need to look at the pros and cons uh and then make a decision about whether it's something that you should be pushing ahead with or not um, logically it's something that should be feasible but it's something that I would really push to get uh, peer-reviewed scientific literature published on rather than um, rather than just take their word for it essentially communications yeah um, as well you also have to think about the materials that they're using where are they sourcing those materials from you know are they just you know uh, supporting an industry that's also contributing to the plastic waste that they're trying to clean up um, as well, what if they're going to do this kind of um, structure that's going to be situated in the same place, when they're installing that, is that going to be disruptive? I mean, I know some of it is floating nets and stuff like that, but if they're cementing stuff and drilling and um, impacting the environment in any way, you know, they're, they, they have to have very scrutinized ways just to install offshore wind farms. So... You know, you can imagine that there must be some sort of environmental impact assessment that they need to do just to install this as well. Um, so, just something to think about. General consensus. Um, I feel really positive about it. I think it's a great idea. It's nice to see young people being innovative and trying to help the environment. Um, yeah, I think this technology has a massive amount of potential. I think it needs a little bit more research possibly a bit of tweaking um but yeah hopefully hopefully this could start to take some of the large pieces of plastic out of the sea in the next few years how about you yeah i mean agreed i think that it it needs to uh, the fact that it addresses that it doesn't take care of the whole issue is important um but i think like you said it's it's great that you know young young people are kind of taking that initiative and 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 being interested just being interested in protecting the natural environment that is so important um, and so that's great to know that that's actually not only something talked about, but something that people are motivated to do. Um, and even if it's not a hundred percent, just the fact that it's creating competition, competition is great. You know, like, oh, you came up with a deal. Oh, well, I'll see if I can come up with a better one. Like if you want to compete about making the environment, you know, better, that's a great way to do it. So, um, yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so we'll do this this last one that's kind of made its rounds recently, which is the Seabin. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, I, I've seen it been shared on Facebook countless times in the last two, three weeks. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't know, Seabin, I think it was originally an Indiegogo campaign. Um, and it's these two Australian guys, as far as I can tell. Um, gotta love the Aussies. 
And right on, mate. Uh, right on, eh? Beach days, brew. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so they basically they basically try to target um, pollution, whether it's plastic or oil, in marinas, harbors, ports, uh, yacht clubs. I believe, as they advertised on their site, um, and as well. Speaking of their site, if you'd like to check it out, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about. Their site is www.cbinproject.com, um, and essentially, it's 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 a trash can that floats. It doesn't float. It's it's situated in a certain place, and it's connected to a pump that's on the dock, and basically creates suction down and sucks plastic and oil through the little uh, through the bin through the trash can, and goes up through the filter, through the air pump, gets the oil out, gets the plastic bits out, and then um, pumps the water that it originally used back out. Um, that's that's a, a crude way to describe it, I would say. No, I mean, I mean that's a fairly good description, I think. They, like, um, if you're really interested in the mechanics of the project, uh, go on their website, because they've got a really nice video which explains it all, and they've got some cool diagrams and stuff. It's actually a nicely made website, and the guys the guys that set up the project seem quite entertaining, so yeah. it's worth a look. Yeah. A hundred percent, and not only that, but I'd say that it's it's their their target of doing it in those small areas is is ideal. I mean, some of the most polluted areas are in those harbors where it's concentrated. You have you know however many boats in a marina, they're all kind of like leaching out and leaking out different oils and paint leaches and stuff like that. And so to be able to at least have some sort of mechanism to clean a little bit of it, even if it's not 100% effective, like, you get something, at least. Yeah. Um, so, and, and making people think about it as well, because I don't think most people would go and say, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we should clean up this marina. Yeah. Like, well, Amir and I have both been um, based in Plymouth uh, for the last year. As Plymouth and Devon in the UK, for those folks that are not in England. But go yeah, on. sure. Um, and anyway, it's it's one of the main uh, main port cities in the UK. So there's tons of marinas all around it. And I mean, we've both witnessed firsthand the amount of plastic um, pollution and actually oil pollution that accumulates in these marinas, just because there's so many boats in there and there are areas which are centres of human population. So um, you know, all all of this plastic that we're seeing in the deep ocean, that's all come from the coast. All all the plastic in the sea originally came from land. So um, a project like the sea bin is going to start addressing um, addressing plastic being put in the sea as soon as it's being put in the sea in these coastal environments. And I think it's a really great project, actually. I do too. And not only that, these guys seem pretty dedicated. I mean, they're not only talking the talk, they're walking the walk. One of their goals, uh, two, two of their goals from their website, you can check it out, like I said, seabinproject.com. But... Um, they, they explicitly say that, one, they're trying to um, use the plastic they collect as materials for making more sea bins. Um, and with that, also using other sustainably sourced materials, as ambiguous as that sound. Uh, but, you know, the intention is there, that they're, they're actually thinking of what materials they're using, where they're coming from. And, you know, as far as we know, trying to make it at the least, kind of leaving the least amount of carbon footprint they can. Um, and the second bit that I really, really love, and I, you know, we mentioned this briefly a few minutes ago, but is they want to educate. And I think education is so key and so important 
to kind of engaging the public and engaging young people that don't necessarily know about it um, and might not ever get a chance to know about it if they're not exposed to things like this, things like education, going to schools, um, educating different people and different cultures and um, setting that up. So I really, I, I can support that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, really, I, I can't say enough good stuff about this project. Um, one of the other aspects to think about is how, um, because these sea bins are designed to be put in ports and in uh, in marinas, that means that there's always going to be people around to empty the bins um, and get rid of that plastic in a more responsible way. So it's, you know, it's just a really manageable, easy solution to try and keep your local coastal marine environment um, in, you know, in better health and yeah. not, well, you can't say enough good stuff about that. Yeah, I mean, I do think that there obviously is a limit. Like, you know, you couldn't necessarily implement this, as far as I can tell, without a lot of revising to a larger context. But they're not, you know, they, they're not saying they're trying to do that anyway. Um, the only thing is, you know, what I mentioned before is, landfills like you don't necessarily all all the trash and rubbish that you throw away doesn't necessarily mean that it's being taken care of responsibly whether it's intentional or not so it's still not addressing the issue of reducing the plastic and prevention uh the, the plastic waste that's actually being produced but um you know it's it's definitely another step towards educating and towards that prevention so yeah in that sense general consensus yeah, um, good on you to the boys at Seabin. I think it's great. Yeah, Dits, ditto. Um, cool. Anything else you'd like to say, Rohan? Um, yeah, I th well, I think, I, I know we mentioned this earlier, but I think just to reiterate that, you know, we're really supportive of all these environmental technologies that are coming out, but I just hasten to add that um, even when a really good one does come out, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a magic bullet and it's not just going to solve all of our ocean plastic pollution problems and that the main thing that we really need to be focusing on um, is just reducing our plastic waste as much as possible while simultaneously supporting these technologies and, and together hopefully we can start making a dent in, in the 5.25 trillion pieces of plastic that are already in the sea. <laughs> Great number to have off the top of your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, completely agree completely agree and if anything you know if you have an idea even if you don't think it's good email email a researcher you know I mean if they have the time they, they'll shoot you an email back explain to you if it's good or bad or if it's you know what what could be improved on it I mean you never know and it's it's always better to have an idea bumbling around than to just kind of do nothing at all so there you go there you go um, Alright, I think that's enough informal casual talk for right now. Kind I, of think, in, I think we should wrap this up. Let's wrap it up nice and tight. Um, yes, well thank you for joining this lovely fine episode. Uh, I hope you found it somewhat interesting and stimulating and we haven't been too repetitive. Um, but yeah, so hope you learned something and uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time. Well, I probably won't, but you'll see a man next time. You don't know that. Miracles can happen. Miracles can happen. I do want to take one last moment to just thank the Plastic Soup Foundation for being awesome. Once again, that's www.plasticsoupfoundation.org. That's right there, Borg. That's Borg without the B. Anyway, we will see you next week, Thursday, the 21st. 
And until then, good night and good luck.